Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today. Hey, uh, it has been absolutely awesome just uh, journeying through this current series with you that we have called Gift Wrapped, going from longing to lavished. And we studied the character of God in many ways. What we just sang about is exactly what we have been studying, the character of our God as expressed through the covenants that he has made with his people. What we've tried to drive home is this big idea that God is a promise maker, but he's a promise keeper. The strength of any promise is based off of the character of the promise maker. And what we've learned about our God is that he cannot lie, that he is faithful yesterday, today, and forevermore. Anybody attest to that and can say amen to his faithfulness, amen? Now, if uh, I were to ask you to explain the broad, sweeping narrative of Scripture, there's a lot of ways you could go about doing that. But what we've tried to suggest is that there's uh, one particular way you go about doing that is by remembering six characters, six figures throughout human and redemptive history, five from the Old Testament, one from the New. We start with Adam, and then Noah, and then Abraham. Today we'll be visiting with with Moses and then David. And then ultimately the covenants of God culminates in a new covenant that we'll be talking about on Christmas Eve with Jesus, our Messiah and our Savior. Now last we were together, we were studying the covenant that God made with Abraham. But let me step back for just a moment. When God makes covenant, it is more than just a promise. When God makes covenant, it is a binding agreement, eternal, everlasting, based again off of the strength of his nature, of his character, his righteousness. And so God makes covenant with Adam first. And this covenant can be summed up in one word, and that is rain. What God wants is for his creature, his his prized creation to have dominion, dominion over everything, and he promises that he will be with them. But it's not uh, but till chapter three of Genesis that we see one of the reoccurring themes of humanity, and that is though God is faithful, sadly we are not. Though God's promises are unfailing, we often break our promises. So by Genesis three, the fall is coming, and man is separated by sin from a holy God, yearning for relationship and peril. And so what does God do? Well, praise God. He renews the covenant with Abraham. We say that in chapter 15 of Genesis uh, last week. And that covenant can be summed up in the word restore, restore. He restores his promises to his people through his covenant with Abraham. And in chapter 12 of Genesis, we see God making three promises to Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you an offspring. And I'm going to give you blessings. Uh, everyone who blesses you, I will bless, and I will be an enemy to your enemies. By chapter 15 of Genesis, we also see that there's a sobering statement that God makes, and that is that your offspring, though they will be as numerous as the stars of heaven, will also serve as servants, suffer as servants or slaves in a foreign land, but later I will deliver them. Well, the wonderful thing about Scripture is it records all of these promises. It's the best fact checker there is. We can go back and see, did he actually fulfill what he said he would do? 
Well, he has a 100% track record, my friends. By the time we get to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse number 10, we see the statement that Abraham's offspring were as the stars of heaven. You can check that promise. He fulfilled that promise. By the time they come out of Egypt, they are numerous, over a, a million souls, rather, over a million souls, just the adults, not even counting the children. And then by the time we get to Exodus 14, uh, Exodus 12 rather, Exodus 12 verses 40 and 41, we see that the promise of uh, serving as servants in a foreign land, that was true. For over 400 years, God said that would happen and then he would deliver in Exodus 40, uh, sorry, chapter 12 verses 40 and 41, tell us that they were slaves in Egypt for 430 years. Now, most of us don't know what it's like to be a slave, let alone a freed slave. But this is exactly what we encounter by the time we get to the chapter we're looking at today. I want you to join me in Exodus chapter 19, because Israel is now free from Egypt. God has delivered them. They are a freed slave. But before we read the passage, consider for a moment what must be the range of emotions going through the heart and the mind of a person who is now a freed slave. Think about that for a moment. On the one hand, joy. On the other hand, encountering uh, what is an unexpected reality, never having to traffic in freedom before. How do I navigate this new normal? Well, praise God, we got historical literature on this. One of the areas of literature I would commend to you here in even our own country are the writings of former slaves. There's a lot of literature out there from those who went through slavery here in this country but were later freed and got a chance to capture uh, their stories from a wonderful book called Equiana's Travels to the writings of uh, the great uh, freed slave Frederick Douglass. Many of you have heard that name before. Frederick Douglass goes on to live in incredible life, advising presidents, being an abolitionist, and a great leader in his own right. Listen to these quotes from his uh, journey into freedom out of slavery. On the first day of his freedom, he writes these words, the dreams of my childhood and the purposes of my manhood were now fulfilled, a free state around me and free earth underneath my feet. What a moment this was for me. A whole year was pressed into a single day. A new world burst upon my vision. It was a moment of joyous excitement which no words can describe. Think about that, what it meant to now be breathing fresh air, to have self-determination, to be able to pursue your dreams and actualize that, to be owned by no man, to be free to serve the Lord without hindrance. That was the joy of his freedom. But it wasn't but a couple weeks later that he writes these words to a friend. He says, a sense of loneliness and helplessness crept over me and covered me with something uh, bordering on despair in the midst of thousands of my fellow men and yet a perfect stranger, in the midst of human brothers and yet a as fearful of them as of hungry wolves. I was without home, without friends, without work, without money, and without any definite knowledge of which way to go and where to look for safety. This was a man who was living dual emotions, Am I excited about being free? Yes. Am I clear in understanding what that fully means? No. 
And this is exactly what must have been going through the heart and mind of Israel. They are but three weeks, by the time we get to Exodus 19, three weeks separated from Egypt. Three weeks separated from all that they were going through there, being in bondage and, and being a slave in a foreign land. God had delivered them, but now their questions have begun to mount. Why did God deliver us? And what is the purpose of our freedom? And where do we go from here? And God, in his loving compassion, he calls them to himself. And this is where we pick up the story. And what we discover here in these verses, chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, is that God saves us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And how many thank God that he does? Three things he reveals to them is that, number one, he saves his people to treasure them. God saves his people to treasure them. Look at verses 1 through 5. On the third new moon... After the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I, what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on the eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. These are beautiful words given to a man named Moses that we are introduced to first as liberator. God uses his servant Moses to help to lead his people out of bondage into freedom. But as we read in this passage, what God wants Israel to know is that though he used Moses, he was their ultimate liberator, that God was the one who ultimately freed them. Just as a parenthetical statement, let's not forget that, that though God uses people to bless us, ultimately he's behind the blessing. And this is why we can still have hope, even when mother or father is gone, or when uh, brother or sister is gone, or spouse is gone. Yes, our hearts will twinge with grief, but ultimately we know who is the source of our blessing. How many thank God that he is the source of every good and perfect gift that he is faithful to us, amen? And so God wants Israel to understand that I am the one who delivered and freed you. And in the midst of all of their confusion, can you see the beauty of this moment? He invites them for a meeting. Sinai becomes a holy hill. And why is it a holy hill? It's because here is where God renews his covenant with Israel. Here is where God now is preparing to fulfill his third promise to Abraham that he was going to make them a great nation and give them a land. And Israel encamps around Mount Sinai. And can you imagine what the scene must have been like as they're waiting to encounter their God as they see thick clouds of darkness hovering over Mount Sinai, as they see the thunderings and the lightnings, and then all of a sudden a voice booms from heaven. And listen in verse 3 to the formality of the, vo of the voice that booms from heaven, the voice of Yahweh, the voice of our God. He says, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and then repeats it, and tell the people of Israel. This was a formal moment. 
This was a moment in which God was making covenant with his people. And if uh, all of what you can say about uh, uh, Adam's covenant can be summed up in the word reign, and if the covenant that he made with uh, Abraham can be summed up in the word restore, I think that this covenant can be summed up in the word reveal. God is about to reveal. He is about to reveal his, himself and his heart and explain his purposes and plan for his people. And through these words, we also get insight into the future. The future plan of God to bless all nations through Israel by bringing a Messiah, Jesus, the one who lived a perfect life in which if we place our faith, we enter into what it means to be God's cherished people. And he says here, first, that he wants them to understand who he is. Verse number four, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know, there's two types of knowledge, friends. There is intellectual knowledge, there's facts and information, but then there's experiential knowledge. The knowledge you have from experiencing someone, from having relationship with someone. What God is saying to Israel is that uh, you're not just my people based off of information, but you're my people based off of experience. You saw, you saw with your own eyes what I have done for you. In many ways, my friends, as we read this word, I hope that you can't help but to think about what God has done for you as well. Don't ever throw away your testimony. Record it. Capture it in your heart. But remember that God has been faithful to you. How many praise God that he's not just a God who is far, far away, though he is greater than his creation? How many praise God that he is intimately involved in the care, the protection, and the nurturing of his creation. I have a testimony, and so do you, that God has been good to us, caring for us through the challenges, through the struggles, through the opposition and the adversity, and this is Israel's testimony as well. You saw. You saw that I brought judgment on Egypt. Now, I don't have to enumerate for you what judgment looked like against Egypt. You know the stories. He sent plagues. He judged Pharaoh. He took the most mighty nation on the face of the earth at that time and brought it to its knees. He took the most powerful man, Pharaoh, at that time and brought him to his knees, reminding Pharaoh that there may be a lot of kings on the earth, but there is only one king of kings. There may be a lot of men with power, but there is only one who has ultimate power. How many thank God that all power is in his hands and he reigns forever and ever and ever. He was a God of fierce judgment and must have uh, shooken, uh, shaken the hearts of Israel just to watch it. Have you ever seen someone get punished and it uh, shook you to the core? You know, I remember growing up as a, as a kid, my mom, I get my height from my mom. She is uh, 6'3 or 6'2 and a half, and, uh, and she uh, has a, a big voice. And you knew when you were in trouble with mom. And uh, there would be times when my brother would get in trouble with my mom, and I felt like I got in trouble with mom. I'd leave and I'd be just as shaken as, uh, as my brother was. Well, Israel had to feel this as they saw what, what manner of God is this that he sends plagues and he cripples nations and he humbles kings. But he didn't just want them to know him that way. 
He wanted him, them to also know his tenderness, his love, and his care. So look at the next words. Not only did he judge Egypt, but he also delivered them. He says, and how I bore you on eagles' wings. How I bore you up on eagles' wings. How I literally flew you out of bondage into a safe and prosperous place. And then he says these beautiful words, and brought you to myself. How I invited you to myself. As a parent does with a child, he invites us to himself. A lot of us, like squirming children, don't take advantage of what it means to sit in the lap of God, but the invitation is always there. Yesterday was a big day at the Brooks household. Our little Christiana, who turned one just a few weeks ago, learned how to walk. And it's really interesting because in the morning time, she took a few baby steps. By the end of the day, kid you not, she's walking a whole lower level of the house. And I'm like, praise God, now don't do that again. But trying to get her to sit down now. It's like she's trying to make up for lost time or something. But God invites us to himself. This is what the mountain was all about. It was God inviting Israel to himself. And what did he want to say to them? Here's what he wanted to say in verse number five. And now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, have a heart of obedience towards me. Not perfection, but a disposition that, God, I want to obey you. Not perfection, but a trajectory. We are not the assembly of the perfect. We are the assembly of those who know that we need his grace. This covenant was a covenant of grace. He says, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasure possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Why do you think he added that at the end, for all the earth is mine? I believe it's because he wanted them to know that I am God over every nation, over all the earth, and I'm making a special covenant with you. I'm making a special covenant with you. I'm Lord over all the earth, but I'm making a special covenant with you. Now, if you were to ask me what was so special about Israel that God makes covenant with them, I could not give you an answer. They are just as human, just as fallen, just as messed up as you and I. It's, you get to chapter 32 of Exodus and they've already blown it. They're making calves, golden calves and worshiping idols. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, none of this would have worked out. It certainly wasn't because of their perfection. They're just as human as we are. It was simply because God chose them. And my friends, that's the only thing that makes you and I special as well, is that God chose us. All of us are made from the same dirt. We're all human. We're all fallen. All have fallen short of the glory of God. I say that not to shame or be derogatory, but to simply say this, that if you feel like you've blown it so much that you are beyond God's grace, if you feel like you're so messed up that you have uh, led a uniquely terrible life, I just want you to know you're in the right place because all of us have come here for one reason, and that is we've heard there's a balm in Gilead, that God saves, that he is merciful, and how many thank God for his mercy towards sinners just like you and just like me. And he says, I wanna make you my treasured possession, taking something that is seemingly invaluable and giving it much value. Does, any, does anyone know what that's like? I think we all know what that's like. I think that if I went to any of your houses and if you came to mine, what we would have in common is that there are certain things that we own that no one else would see as valuable, but we see as valuable. 
If you walked into my house, you would find a library. And in my library, you would find books on top of books. In my house, book begat book. And I don't know how all of that happens. Uh, I try to control it, but somehow books continue to amass. But out of all of those books, there are three that are really important to me. And these are three yearbooks from Cast Tech High School. Some in the 80s, some in the 90s. And you say, why are those yearbooks so special to you? Well, my father, for 27 years, taught at Cast Tech High School. And when he passed away, I remember going to his house and getting these yearbooks. And it's interesting just chronicling him through the years, through these yearbooks of how he aged as he taught there before he passed away. These books are treasure possession to me. I imagine if I tried to sell them on eBay, I wouldn't get much in return. But if you were to take those books hostage and try to charge me for them, I would pay my last penny for them because they're special to me. So it was with Israel. Israel was not special apart from God, but because of God, they become special. They are his treasured possession. And all he asks in return is, as I treasure you, you treasure me. This is what God wants from us as well, that we would treasure him. We are his treasured possession, not because of our birthright, but because later Israel would give us a Messiah whose name is Jesus, who lived a perfect life. And through faith in him, we enter into relationship with a God who values us. What is the value of anything? The value of anything is what the owner is willing to pay for it. That's the value of anything. And if you wanna know what your value is, all you have to do is look no further than the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You are of high value to him. Oh, how he loves us. Then in verse six, the A part of that verse, God equips his people to minister. He doesn't just call them into some passive relationship with him. He invites them to join him on mission. Look at what he says. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a whole nation of priests. What does that mean? What is the job of a priest? The job of a priest is to represent the people to God and and God to the people. This is what Israel was supposed to do. Not only were they being blessed, but they were supposed to share the blessings of the grace of God with the nations, to tell the nations of the goodness of God so that they might come to worship Yahweh. As As God prepared the heart of the world for the coming Messiah, It was as if God is saying, I'm gonna give you a blessing, but all of it isn't for you. Don't don't just kind of keep this hidden for yourself. Don't hoard all of this up for yourself. You're supposed to give this away to the world as well. Yeah, blessing for you, but blessing for the world as well. Those of you who have kids uh, may, may know a little bit about this. I remember being a kid myself. There'd be times when my mom would give me some money and say, go to the store and I want you to get some things. And with the change left over, you can get some something for yourself, but you got to get something for your brother as well. That was my responsibility. That was a a high privilege that came along with that, but just imagine mom's response. Now, I already told you how tall she is. Just imagine mom's response if my brother comes home and the story is Chris spent all the change on himself. How do you think that's working out for me? Not good, right? 
Well, now I have kids of my own. And there are times when I do the same thing. I will send one of them in and I'll say, hey, you can go into the store. You can buy a few things for yourself, but make sure you buy something for your siblings as well. There's a stewardship. So it was with the grace of God. He blesses Israel, but he says that through you, Israel, I want to minister to the nations. Praise God that even as God is dealing with Abraham and Moses, he's thinking about the world the nation, about you and I. God had the world in his heart from the very beginning, and Israel was stewards of this. And through Christ, so are you and I. Fast forward, just a brief glimpse into the new covenant, Acts 1 and 8, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. My friends, we have been given much. We have been given tremendous grace, but not for us to keep all of it to ourselves, but for us to share it with the world. And then he closes this verse by knitting Israel, knitting the people into a holy nation. Look at what it says. Verse six, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. You're no longer citizens of the nation of Egypt. You are now a nation. He is calling them not slaves anymore, but now they are a nation, Israel. Israel was the name of a man who later had children. And up until this point, they had just been a family, a pretty big family, but just a family. But now they are a nation. And in chapter 20, just one chapter over, God gives them a constitution, the Ten Commandments as he prepares to lead them into the promised land, Canaan. But now he calls them to a new identity. You are a nation, and not only a nation, a holy nation, meaning that the way you operate in this nation is different than the way you operate it in your old nation. Now, some of you have uh, experienced what it's like to, be, to uh, immigrate to the U.S., to be an immigrant coming from a, a, another country into the U.S., or some of you have immigrants in your family history, you know a little bit about this. I'm blessed to marry into a family in which my mother-in-law immigrated from beautiful Ethiopia to the U.S. in 1972. And I'm so glad that she made that trip and came here because it worked out to my advantage. Praise God. Some of you will get that later on as you think about what I just said. But I got a wife out to deal. So my mother-in-law comes here and she becomes a citizen of the U.S. And what does she have to learn? Is that she doesn't do what she used to do in her old country. The laws of her old country, the practices of her old country, that was for Ethiopia, that's not for the U.S. The U.S. has its own rules, its own laws. And this is what God is saying to Israel. You're no longer in Egypt. You don't behave that way. You don't follow their practices. You don't look like them. You should be holy, reflecting my character to a watching world. And later on, Peter, again, a glimpse into the new covenant, reminds us that you and I ought to be holy for God is holy. We're not to look or respond to the brokenness of the world like those around us, but we're supposed to reflect the character of our God because after all, we too are royal priesthood because of Jesus. We are called to be priests to the world, to the nations, and to lead them to him. Friends, there is so much more that I want to say about this. I encourage you, chapters 19 through 34 really capture this covenant, but I do want to encourage you today. 
to embrace what he has said about Israel and understand that through Jesus, he also says that about us, that we are treasured by him. To be a part of the people of God means to be treasured by God. And what does he want us to do is to treasure him back, to love him and his word and to bear witness of him to a watching world. And if we do these things, we will not only be pleasing to God, but we will be instruments of his grace and his goodness. Maybe you feel far from the Lord. Praise God that through his grace, he brings us close to himself. So if today you need salvation and you know who you are, I pray that you will respond to this message. If you're watching online, now would be a perfect time to type the word connect and our team members will follow up with you. If you're here in person, as soon as we're done worshiping, Pastor Vince will dismiss us and then you come to the front. Let us pray with you, but don't leave being this close to God and missing out on his grace. Everyone stand with me today as we close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness and your promises. Thank you that you love us and you draw near to us. Um, we bring no value of our own, but you, through your love for us, you call us beloved. Father, I pray that today you would transform hearts and that you would bring those who feel far away close to you and that you would remind all of us of your great love for us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. And all of God's people said a big amen and amen. Come on and give God praise. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.